welcome to the April edition of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan Janolfi. And I'm Howard Marlowe. Thanks for the uh, thanks very much to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today for hosting us. Today we're going to talk about the newly introduced President's FY23 budget, FEMA risk rating 2.0, and the FY23 appropriations process. Let's get started. So the FY23 presidential budget proposal included yet another goose egg for coastal resilience, Uh, really just coastal in general. Uh, We've been tracking since 1996 all coastal appropriations, and uh, several times uh, administrations have tried, in essence, to completely squash the coastal program. We've seen zeros in a number of years. Um, And it's interesting to see a guy like Joe Biden from a Sandy Beach state, as Delaware, not include anything. I mean, this is this is his hometown. I mean, this is beaches are important, and it, especially with his emphasis on climate change. Well, where do we? What's one of the main areas you really see climate change? It's along the coast. Absolutely, Dan. And this is a time when coastal communities are really facing enormous challenges. The federal government has just put a stark money amount of money in, in terms of the infrastructure bill to protect coastal communities from flooding damage and from storms. But really, as much as some people may want to celebrate, I think it's really a time for alarm. If you look at it, it's nice to have a slug of money. And in fact, this will be a slug of money over a three-year period coming through the core for infrastructure. The good news is it's there. The bad news is it's only for three years. And it is only to keep existing projects going. Now, that's a little bit of an overstatement because there's some money to uh, study some new ones, which is good. But they're new traditional projects, which I, by, me, which, by, by which I mean uh, beach nourishment projects, which are extremely good and very effective at protecting against the wave damage caused by uh, hurricanes, strong storms. Uh, but how about the uh, sunny day flooding? How about the just the heavy rain issues that are bogging us down? How about the fact that sea levels are rising and that properties are getting flooded and that people are beginning to realize there are things to, that need to be done? So I think, you know, if we look at what needs to be done, you mentioned the fact that past administrations tried to kill the program uh, President Clinton was the one who started it, and he wanted to totally gut the program, take it out, zero. Uh, Our firm started something called the American Coastal Coalition in response to that, and it was not zeroed out. In fact, Congress passed legislation twice staying uh, in two different years, saying that the program was important to continue that its reasons were for protecting both people, property, and environment, et cetera, et cetera. The Coastal Coalition also was for local leaders, elected officials to come to Washington to meet with their representatives, to hold press conferences, not only on their own, but we got together with other water resource organizations, et cetera, et cetera. We even had a demonstration on the Capitol steps, and it was very peaceful but also very effective. It got press attention. So 
the point is that we highlighted the needs of coastal communities, and he gave coastal elected officials a chance to have a unified voice. I realized when I looked at, the, after the president's budget came out, ex-water resource organizations said, oh, it's great for ports, and why? It's great for inland waterways. Nobody said it's either great or bad for coasts. And we need to be talking out about that. And we also need to be talking out about the fact that just new projects that deal with 20th century needs aren't enough anymore. We need to be dealing with 21st century needs. And we need to deal with them by adding not just the words, but the money for the core or other federal agencies to be actually implementing green infrastructure, other kinds of things that need to be done in coastal communities. We have interest groups, of course, in this in this country. Oh, uh, loads. But I don't think we have a unified coastal voice. None. And for the past uh, nearly two decades, we've had approximately $200 million, especially we have a chart that, of course, we can't show right now over the podcast, but we can, we'll post on Waterlog. Accounting for inflation, really, the, the funding for coastal over the past 20 years has been level at $200 million. And when you look at the you look at this massive, massive infrastructure injection, right? Well, it's almost no different than a supplemental bill, which provides, you know, 30-some billion for coastal in one year and 13 billion the next year. And Yeah, and the supplementals it, are post-disaster. Well, sort of the infrastructure bill, right? Is also post-disaster if you look at a large chunk of it, yes. And I think one thing that, you, that we both agree on is that annual appropriations for coastal need to start really going up and not and not staying around this $200 million figure because costs are going up, costs of sand, costs of fuel. There are simply more projects. There's more demand for dredging. There's, I mean, not even including the, you know, global economic changes that we're seeing right now, which is causing everything to increase in price. $200 million is simply not going to cut it. What happens here is that when you start out with zero being recommended by the president, Congress has to make a major lift the CORE's budget is a minor part of the overall federal budget, but also just a minor part of the one of the 12 bills that Congress passes for appropriations. It's called the Energy and Water Development Appropriations Bill. Energy is huge. There's alternative energy, nuclear energy, all in there. Look at the bill. Don't bother to look at anything other than the first couple of paragraphs of the report on the bill, and you'll see the billions that are in there for the Corps as an agency to get $8 billion or 8.6. A single digit. <laughs> right. Which is still a huge amount of money. It's but still huge, but... You've got to put it in perspective of what, the, what else is being spent. And then put the $200 million in perspective of that 8.6. We're on the low end of a totem pole, which stretches very high. So the bottom line here is that it's really important to get a, uh, a unified voice. The American Coastal Coalition uh, merged into the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association in about 2002, as I recall, and has not existed since then. We need to have that again. We need to have that unified voice. I think so. Now, let's talk in terms of, I, I think this is we may be sending the wrong tone just a little bit, you know, and sounding alarm, which I think is necessary. But let's look at the positive for a yes. moment, because more money actually did come out from the infrastructure bill when the president's budget came out. There was another 
addendum, in essence, which yes. included other projects. Yeah, in the president's uh, budget that came out last month for um, fiscal 23, begins on October 1, uh, he also released money for actually both the current fiscal year, more money for the current fiscal year in infrastructure, and he also released money for FY23 infrastructure for the Corps. Uh, $50 million of that, uh, incidentally, goes to all the construction money, beach nourishment projects. Um, as I recall, three or four of them in uh, Florida and one of them in one other state. It'll come to my mind in a moment because that probably is close to home. But in any event, it's, um, you know, it, it's getting attention, but it's all renourishing existing projects plus some money that was put in money released last year for infrastructure, infrastructure which uh, uh, put some new study money in for projects. In addition to a huge figure that I don't think we discussed on the on the last podcast uh, for the city of Norfolk. And Norfolk has about, uh, by now, about $300 million. Nearly, ha- nearly half a billion, I think, when yes. all is said and done. And then they get added more money for a, a seawall. Uh, this is all what uh, local sponsors call free money, which means it doesn't require a um, local or state cost share. Free money is uh, no such thing as a free lunch, I guess you could say. The folks with the seawall are going to have to maintain it on their own. The folks with beaches are going to have to maintain it. There they do get a cost share. So I think we need a unified coastal voice to stop these one sort of one-time supplemental type appropriations. And yeah, I think we had at least the same one, message. That's the message we're really trying to hit home here. You had at least one county in North Carolina which was offered free money from a, um, a, 1980, a 2018 or a 2019 disaster bill and turned it down for a beach nourishment project because they thought that federal appropriations for renourishment were unreliable. The fact is federal appropriations are unreliable. And now we're in the era of earmarks I think we're going to see another level of unreliability, unfortunately. So we've, we've got to get this program stable, and we have to get it into the 21st century. So the coastal communities are getting the kinds of money with the kinds of lack of strings that enable them to get things done that are, uh, meet their coastal zone management uh, plans that each state has. If you have thoughts or comments, we'd love to hear from you. So please, please reach out. Uh, moving on to FEMA risk rating 2.0. This has been a major controversy in, in Congress. And the main problem is that people can't afford the new rates, especially in cases where the mandatory purchase requirement is in effect, which means that new homeowners may face higher costs than they originally budgeted for. Now, while I understand the concern in the example I just gave, I, I really disagree with the controversy uh, surrounding this program. For years, we've known that the NFIP rates simply don't reflect the risk of flooding inland and on the coast. FEMA responded to congressional directives to set risk-informed rates and gave Congress and the public lots of notice about risk rating 2.0 and its impacts. I personally have not you know, vetted the way it's calculated, but I think you and I both know that there's properties that are in areas that they should not, that they should not be, and perhaps we're paying far too low. These are properties that have flooded four, five, six times, right? And we haven't fully taken care of that, no. even with 
So some mem- some members of Congress say there isn't enough transparency about risk rating 2.0, but I'm not sure that that's true. FEMA has published a lot of materials about this new rating system, and the fact is it will raise premiums for many, and it will lower them for a few. The change is caused by the fact that previous NFIP rates simply didn't reflect the risk of damages to individual properties based on historical storm experience, elevation, and other things like that. All types of insurance are based on risk. That's true for the car insurance we buy, our, 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 our houses, our lives, our medical costs. So I think the same principle should, should apply to flood insurance. If you live in a more risky area, you should pay a little bit more for your premium. I think that's the hard part for Congress to digest. There is a need for flood insurance reform that is more encompassing than even risk rating 2.0. But Congress has repeatedly refused to deal with the issue of flood insurance. It's We're going on, I've lost count. I know it was 17 times, uh, maybe a few podcasts ago. We're probably going on 18 or 19 times Easily. that this, the can's been kicked. And some constituents are going to be unhappy that they have to pay more. But the fact is, if you live in an area that floods often, you're going to face higher rates. The same way if I get car insurance and tell my car insurer that I'm going to be parking in a dangerous area, I have a history of of accidents, you know, all these types of things that show higher risk, you're going to end up paying a higher cost. It is something that is... To put it in a uh, harsh way, it's an educational tool. It conveys information about your risk. If you don't really know that risk, the beauty of living along the coast sometimes overcomes the fact that that storm may be headed your way or that the seas are rising. We knew, we read, now, of course, uh, hindsight's always 2020. A lot of the houses that were sold in the Hurricane Harvey region. They never disclosed that that flood risk to the homeowners who, who bought them. And that's that's really the responsibility of the real estate agents, you know, to convey that risk. But they didn't. And I've seen examples. It's, it's an unfortunate, very unfortunate reality. Extremely. And, and, you know, the burden does eventually fall on the homeowner. The financial burden certainly does. But the burden also would be if that property gets flooded, gets damaged by wind what are they going to, you know, do? They need to know that those potential costs are going to have to be built into their property. So again, I, I can understand that members of Congress want to speak up about this because their constituents are speaking up about it. They're saying, I can't afford, you know, these rates. Uh, yeah. I just... I don't know what to say about that other than it's a, it's a reality. And I'm not saying that risk rating 2.0 is, is completely accurate and that it's to the, you know, the dollars and cents of, of what it should be. But I think that it's a, it's with a program that's already had billions and billions of dollars forgiven. There's something wrong with, with the amount that's going into the program because it can't pay out enough. So someone is not paying enough into the program. If, if the risk is actually calculated properly. Yeah, and, and, and you're talking about, you know, billions being forgiven. That's the debt that uh, FEMA got into, the NFIP program specifically got into, because it paid out far more than it had premiums to pay. And they could not pay back that debt because more and more storms came and, and flooding. This is also a national, it's a national program, not just coast. So you, you, that means that all of us all taxpayers, no matter where you live, when they f- debt is forgiven, it's your dollars that are replacing them. 
Now, you can take that any way you want to, but this is not a smart way to deal with risk, no matter where it is, inland or coastal. No, and reminder that the federal government started providing flood insurance because the private sector would not. Mm-hmm. Well, private sector tends to be pretty smart. Okay. So I think the last point here is we elect people to represent us, our members of Congress, and we want Congress to do something about it. And it, it's unfortunate that it's taken this long and that we're still facing this issue with NFIP. Moving on to regular appropriations. Yeah, we've got uh, that process is starting up, even though we only passed last year's appropriations a, a month ago. We are already starting uh, on next year's appropriations. So Congress has been, begun holding hearings on all agencies, but certainly the Corps of Engineers budget. Uh, and the goal is to get things finished by October 1st. Now, we've already talked about the, first, the fact that uh, in terms of what's coming for the coast, uh, Biden is a, a zero. But for the Corps in general, he's dropped a couple billion dollars off of the level that Congress appropriated uh, this past for this current fiscal year, given all the infrastructure money that's available, that it sounds like it you know it might work, but Congress is still going to have to plus up that budget significantly. And our, our nation's water resources have been neglected for de- uh, decades. You have to look at it that you can't just do it on well we're going to make this up this year or we're going to make it up with a supplemental or we're going to make it up with a shot for infrastructure. We've got to be able to get this thing on a more regular basis. This thing, incidentally, includes appropriation bills entirely. Since passing a bill, appropriations that are due on October 1st, uh, basically closer to March 1st than they were to October 1st, is no way to run a government, and it costs taxpayers money to run government inefficiently. So... That's it for the, you know, the process, except that we're still dealing with earmarks, which I think you are. <clears throat> yeah, we're, well, we're getting into the, the second budget cycle for earmarks. Um, Congress is beginning to solicit requests, um, earmarks for FY23. If you have an earmark request, please check in uh, with, your, with your offices because some of those have already passed their deadlines. Um, committee has deadlines set later this month, but I know a few offices have already closed their, their portals in essence. So this is the second budget cycle with return of earmarks or congressionally directed spending. Uh, in total, last year, there were earmarks provided for hundreds of items, everything from animal shelters, research labs, fire stations, addiction centers, justice centers, uh, road improvements, EV charging, just to name a few. Larger projects include Army Corps of Engineers projects, of course, as well as drinking water and clean water programs. Interestingly, there are actually a number of grant programs also earmarked this year. And this was allowed as long as the uh, as long as the projects that are earmarked are eligible for funding under normal grant guidelines. For example, if a member requested a project that would normally be normally not be eligible under funding for FEMA's BRIC program, it can't ear- be earmarked for that program. Um, it may, however, be possible for subcomponents of that project. But I think members of Congress are just looking to to receive projects that are really already vetted, already eligible. Um, and they're not just a wish list item, you know, for a community or nonprofit. That yeah, I know. When we're talking to our clients that we represent, these have to be things that are one very needed. Also, will have a 
the kind of impact that members are looking for, which is something that has significant impact uh, on the community or on the region, for that matter. And the process works this way. Uh, your representative and your two senators have forms. And if you call up their offices, they'll tell you how to get the form. A lot of them are online. They have questions. They're asking, asking a lot of information. The information they get is put on their websites to tell you what, particularly when they have decided which requests they're going to be making, they put it on their website. And then they send those requests to the Appropriations Committee, which then vets them and decides what they're going to do and puts that on a website. So it's all transparent. It can only come from basically from nonprofits and local governments. Yeah, if it's not going to help, you know, a, a, a large community, uh, it's really not something that a member is going to be interested in. There's other ways to get funding for those types of projects. I'm not speaking to any anything in particular, but... Um, you want yeah. to have, yeah, want to have a, some sort of significant impact. Uh, it could be life safety. It could be education. It, it, there, there's so many things that can have a significant impact, health-wise and, uh, and otherwise. And uh, hopefully those of you who are listening who didn't put a uh, request in in timely fashion this year will take a look uh, on members of Congress's website and see what they did last year and the kinds of requests they put in. They have press releases and separate parts of the website to show you what they did. There's also a lot of money available from states that was passed through um, for things from transportation and EV charging and things like that. So check with your state, um, you know, your state departments to see if there's any uh, money available through those programs. A lot of infrastructure money got passed through to states, states to give out. So um, check on that too. That's all we've got for this month. We'll be back in May, and we look forward to talking with you then. Baseball starts this week, so bye-bye till then. (laughs) Go Nats.